Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, thanks everyone. Uh, Let me just uh, say to you, do grab a Bible. You should have one in your pew in front of you, and I will grab the same one that you've got to make sure we're on the the same pages, because we're going to dot around a little bit. And you'll find that uh, helpful. And uh, one more thing before I start. Thank you so much to Dima for leading us um, in prayer um, and leading us as well on Thursday evening when we gathered on Zoom to pray for for the Ukraine. Um, As we all know now, we have Ukrainian members of our congregation. We also have Russian members of our congregation for whom this is also a difficult time uh, for a whole set of other reasons. And I hope that all of us are able to realize that we have a particular opportunity ourselves to embody kind of generosity and welcome and unity at this difficult time on those particular two fronts. Good, so do keep Luke, uh, if you found it, Luke chapter 10 open before you. We're talking about busyness. And in this first section, under the heading, Resisting Busyness. Much of what I'm about to share with you um, has been inspired by two books that I'd love to uh, mention to you. The first one uh, is, I've got to remind myself what order there, that's right, John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, This is a great book, thinking about particularly busyness within our culture and how we resist it. The second book I'd love to commend to you uh, this, that's, I'm just going to give you a give, go, go back. We go one more second just so I can repeat the title. Sorry. Um, that's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The second book I'd like to recommend to you is a book called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And this, in a sense, is thinking about the other side of business. Given I am busy, how do I be busy in the right way? Okay. And those two, in a sense, they help us. Those are the two, th- the two approaches we're going to be taking today. First of all, thinking, how do we resist this madness that we live in? But also, given that we want to use the gifts that we've got, how do we do that in a way that honors God? Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. The story is told of a woman who came uh, from another culture, non-Western culture, uh, into um, a, uh, a country very much within the ambit of modern Western culture, and... She was observing people around her, and those who are watching her noticed that she started introducing herself as Busy, the name, Busy. Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep saying your name is Busy? Well, she said, I wasn't really sure which name to choose, and I I just listened to what names people were saying, and and the most common thing I heard is when people, how are you? Perhaps she heard, who are you? She heard, I am Busy. Everyone is busy. All the time, everyone is busy. 
I wonder how you think about busyness. You might feel it's a blessing. And certainly there are people, in, even in our culture, who have little to do, and that also is a terrible thing. But it can, of course, also feel like a great affliction. It can also feel like an opportunity. It can feel like a blessing and an affliction and an opportunity, all sort of chucked in all together, and it's hard to know quite how to think of it. There is so much wrapped up, frankly, in that word, busyness. I mean, let's think of two poles. Uh, on the one hand, bu- under busyness, we might just think of the changing times in which we live. This age of opportunity and complexity that we inhabit. We, we, are, we are in a dynamic culture these days. A culture that prizes activity and achievement. You know, opportunity is always there. It's just at the end of the rainbow of busyness. And you skedaddle down there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to all, you know, the pot of gold is going to be yours. And it may seem obvious to say this, but I think it's worth recognizing it wasn't always like that. Now, there are plenty of things wrong in past cultures, but if we wind back 500 years, I guess your position in society was pretty fixed. You, you were going to end up in society pretty much wherever you started. So the particular temptation to go madly busy to try and get yourself out of it wasn't there, although there may have been other, many other obstacles. But now the great promise is if you can just be busy, a little bit busier than you are right now, then the whole world can be yours. Changing times. And it's, it's not hard to understand how we've got here. We live in a world of incredible connectivity, don't we? And immediacy. It wasn't that long ago where the working day ended when you left the office because you, you couldn't log on to your email. It wasn't that long ago before that where the working day ended when the lights went out because there was no electricity. Now, you could work anytime, anywhere, wherever you like. And that kind of makes us think at some level you should work anytime, anywhere, whenever anyone else likes you to work. That didn't always used to be there. There's never a moment when we can't be busy. So changing times, opportunity, complexity. That, on one level, that's one side of our business today. We just live in an age when it's different and it's busy. But there is a more negative side to thinking about busyness. That sort of slight wrench in the stomach we might call it hurry sickness. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the thing that this dystopian image of the rat race conjures up. People just madly running around in their hamster wheel for the promise of something else, and they're not quite sure what it is, and then one day they die. Industrialization was supposed to enable us to throw off our burdens. We were supposed to then end up not doing so much work because all the machines were going to do it. It was going to be great. And the funny thing is that industrialization has enabled us to do even more work than ever before. And so we find ourselves in this really weird thing where we, we designed all these machines to try and make our lives more relaxed, and somehow it's way more hectic. What happened? Something is wrong with us. Hurry sickness. And there are many more, more ways, I guess, in which we could understand the concept so, as I said before, this evening, we're just going to be looking at this from a Christian perspective along two lines. 
One is that kind of resisting that, that culture, that, that hurry sickness thing. And another one is redeeming it, making the most of our gifts. And I've got to say, as I am teaching on this, I am seriously a work in progress. Those who know me, given this subject, uh, will find it somewhat ironic that um, I, um, I struggled to find time this week to write a sermon on busyness uh, because I was too busy. Uh, and uh, I'm going to provide you uh, with plenty of material to challenge me on my behavior this evening, uh, as indeed I hope you will find for you, yourselves as well. So all that by way of, an, of intro. The first thing then I'd love to think about is how we resist busyness. Resisting busyness. Let's head back to uh, the home of Martha and Mary. Uh, Jesus comes to this village um, He's gone to these two sisters, um, and uh, Mary is just thrilled to see Jesus, and she sits down to listen to him teach. And meanwhile, Martha's out the back, and you know she's preparing the dumplings or whatever you did in those days. It probably wasn't that, was it? Um, and she's busy uh, cleaning up the area where Jesus probably might stay later on. There's lots to do. And she's, she gets pretty wound up. Martha, it says, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came into him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. That's pretty much busyness, isn't it? But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Turns out busyness is as old as the houses. That sense of being overwhelmed. We all know it, don't we? We know how Martha felt. There's too much to do. There are too many tasks. And I can't get out of even thinking how many tasks there are because there are too many tasks to do and I'm not even going to complete them. She just can't get out of where she is and think how anyone could possibly think that there is time to sit down and listen to Jesus. And of course, what happens? Relationships get squeezed. In her busyness, she has no time for a person whom actually she loves very dearly. It is a very familiar world. So what can we do to resist busyness? Well, here are three little thoughts. Number one, let's spot our addiction to speed. Spot our addiction to speed. The thing is, to deal with any problem, you've got to actually first see the problem. You've got to see it right. And one of our issues is that we are addicted to speed. Now, speed has got some serious advantages. The message that gets us out of a 60-minute hole because we had our mobile phone on us, and now we get an instantaneous notification that X or Y isn't going to be there because, I don't know, they fell off their bike on the way. The update that means we can... We can still meet that friend in time because they told us early and now we know we can take that other train so we get there. That's so convenient, so brilliant that we have that ability to know things just at the last minute. But our love of immediacy is not all good. We can become addicted to immediacy. The possibility of having access to things right now actually in a weird kind of totally backwards way 
increases our FOMO. It increases our fear of missing out. The fact that we could have more now makes us even more terrified that we're going to miss out of things. Who doesn't do that? They get their phone out. Oh, definitely, I looked at this five minutes ago, and there's definitely some really important things here that I did not know before. But if I don't know them now, man, I'm definitely going to miss out. So our love of immediacy is not all good. We start to behave in ways that, when we step back, make little sense. So we're sitting at supper with friends. We specially made time to go and be with them, and the phone buzzes. And somehow, we decide to take the phone out and spend two minutes of precious attention with something that we kind of know was never going to be that important, instead of the two minutes with the friend that we have busily gone all the way across town to go and spend time with. That's crazy if you think about it, isn't it? Immediacy is not always good. Constant stimuli make us ill-tempered. They make us anxious. They make us exhausted. Busyness becomes who we are. Does that ever happen to you? So like you go through a really busy patch, and during that busy patch, you start telling yourself you're really busy so you can't do other things. And then the task list actually reduces, but you're still in the mindset, we're like, I'm really busy. And then you keep behaving busy. We're like, I can't talk to you, I'm really busy. I mean, I, and then what you do is you start filling in the time that you have to ensure that you can continue with the identity of being busy. It's, it's nuts, but we do it. Our love of immediacy isn't all good. And you know, when we think of the Lord Jesus, he only had three years of active ministry. He was God on earth. And yet he reckoned that he could do with a day or two of peace and quiet with the Lord. It makes us think that probably we could do with the same. Now, I could say much more on that, but to spot our addictions to speed, uh, I guess we need to ask ourselves some hard, some hard questions. I really recommend one more book, Tim Chester, The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. Uh, and he's got 12 questions that he asks that kind of help us start to work out what's going on in our hearts. Here are just three which really landed with me. If tomorrow evening were unexpectedly free, would you use it to do work or a household chore? Free time. I must fill it with exercise and activity. That's a sign you're busy. Do you have enough time to pray? No, of course not. I mean, I would. I love prayer, obviously, but I'm just too busy. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Basically, that's a message that some people I'm looking at right now have sent me. So I'm sorry. It's hard, isn't it? But basically, what that means is I'm too busy. Let's think about our addiction to speed. Secondly, let's accept our limitations. Psalm 121 is a beautiful psalm. Uh, it's that one that starts, I lift my eyes to the hills. And in verse four, it says, uh, verse three and four, it says, he, that's God, will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't slumber or sleep. What's the point? The point is we do, right? We sleep. We get to the end of the day and then we run out of beans and so we sleep. But God doesn't. It is part of who we are that we are limited. We can't just keep going. And 
when you don't know that there's God, then perhaps you're like, well, I just want to eke more out of myself because that's the only hope I've got. But knowing the Lord goes like this. He doesn't slumber or sleep, so I can. Because he never sleeps, I can put my head down. We need to accept our limitations. Now, that may sound negative, but you know, our limitations can be a great gift. Uh, when I was at uh, theological college, um, I, well, I, was, I was studying to do my exams. I was in my second year there, and um, I, I was about six weeks out from doing my finals. I had a, a full-time job. I had, was on a full-time degree. I had a one-year-old kid. And uh, we'd gone on holiday for the um, Easter holidays. Uh, we were away on the Isle of Wight for a week. And, and I came back feeling like I am not recovered at all. And uh, we parked up outside a supermarket just outside where we were living. And uh, Emily went in to get some milk or something. And in the five minutes that we were sitting in the car, I fell asleep leaning on, on the window of the car. I'm like, this is not good. However we've got here, this is not good. And I basically took a massive nosedive. I was really stressed. I had all these exams coming up. I was like, I've got to revise, got to revise. And the Lord just took all my energy away. And all I could do in a day was about an hour and a half's work, and that was it. And it was embarrassing explaining it to people. And I was worried about my exams. And initially, I just fretted more and more. And then finally, the Lord just broke me. Was like, I suddenly realized, Lord, there's no point here. Right? I just, I, I'm not going to be able to keep up with what I had planned. So let's turn this around. I'm just going to take the energy that you give me, however little it is, and I'm going to start things in the right order. So at a time when I was really struggling to actually spend time with the Lord in prayer, because I was like, busy, I've got to do my work. Instead, I was like, right, I'm going to start off the best part of the day I'm going to give to prayer and Bible study and really getting my heart in the right place with the Lord. If there's anything left after that, I'll do a little bit of work. And it was wonderful. It did me so much spiritual good. The Lord had to really go at me first of it. He had to go around the houses to get there. Sometimes our limitations are a gift to us because it takes them to learn I am not God, he is God, and thank goodness he is and not me. And sometimes the Lord has to teach that to us the hard way, but it is a gift. So let's accept our limitations. And finally, just one more. We need to realize that time is not our greatest need. Time is not our greatest need. I wonder what happens when you're in your small group and the, the prayer requests go round. How many times have you found yourself basically asking the fo- for the following, following kind of prayer? Basically, I'm really busy right now and I've got this thing on at work and family and I just... I can't really, I want to do it, Lord, I really want to pray that I do it really well and that I also do that other thing really well and that I also manage that. And basically what we're praying for is more time. Do you know what I mean? And it's almost like this part of us is like, the, the thing, the, the problem this week is that fundamentally the Lord put 24 hours in the day and actually life would be fine if you'd done 26, but it's just that unfortunately you only have 24 and that's just really awkward for me this week. The reality is that if the Lord had done 26, we would be in the same situation, right? We would be having the same prayer requests. Because the problem is not the number of hours in the day. The problem is how we use that time. 
What does the Lord require of us? Not that we somehow eke out another hour in the day, but that we live wisely and well. Not necessarily live more, if you get what I'm saying. The lesson to learn is that we realize that more time is not necessarily our greatest need. And for that, we need the wisdom of God. All right, so three little things to start us off with. Spot our addictions to speed, accept our limitations, realize that more time is not necessarily our greatest need. All of those things are going to help us resist our busyness. We're going to have some time to respond to that now. I'm going to call the band up to come and join us. We've got a couple of songs that help us think this through, and I want to really encourage you in this time, perhaps, to take some of the thoughts that the Lord has been putting on your hearts um, and, and take those back to him. If you want to leave Luke 10 open for you, that story of Martha and Mary, and let it speak to you. Amen. Amen. So we've done resisting business, busyness. This is redeeming busyness, right, John? This is redeeming busyness. Do keep uh, those words from Colossians open before you. So we've thought about how we stand against the culture of busyness that invades our lives. Now, much more briefly, I want to think about how we can redeem it. You see, our capacity for activity is not necessarily negative. Busyness, particularly if we just define it in kind of neutral terms, being active, doing things, getting a lot done, getting about the place. There's a plenty of that in the Bible. Let's think of our biblical heroes. Think of the Apostle Paul. Just one little example. When he went to set up the church in, in Philippi, he turned up, do you remember the river he met? Lydia, the, the cloth merchant, and they got talking, and they basically started up a church, and he was there for a couple of weeks, perhaps. Um, and then Paul healed a servant girl and it all kicked off and she was no longer going to make money for her owners because of divination. So Paul got thrown into prison and his mates and um, then God released him in the night, that very night. The next day after meeting that church, one last time, Paul gets sent off to the next town. Paul planted a church and left it in the space of weeks. This was a guy who was active. He was busy. Paul himself taught about being busy. He compared the Christian life to that of an athlete who goes into strict training. Now, an athlete, that's not a picture of someone who lets their days on this earth run through their fingers. It's, it's, it's not a couch potato image, is it? It's someone who's doing. And there's a, there's a sense of busyness about Christian teaching, generally. Think of those words in Colossians 3 that we've just been looking at. Uh, Paul says there, do it, do whatever you do, verse 17, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Now look down to verse 23. He says it again, whatever you do, working at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Paul's talking about excellence, doing things really, really well, as if someone was watching rather than how you might kind of do a shoddy job if you know, no one was watching. Now, excellence comes out of effort, hard work. It requires not only, but partly, getting busy. So how can we think right about this? 
You know that parable of the talents that Jesus taught? You know this idea that each of us has given talents and the master comes back and demands of the servants, look, have you invested your talent? Have you made, have you made it work for you? The, the idea is each of us have been given talents by God. We've been given gifts and they are to produce a return. God wants us to do something out of what we have. Now, that means that in resisting the kind of obsessional spirit of busyness, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We don't want to make light of our capacity to do things for the kingdom. So, big assumption, and this is not true for me, but just because we've only got this evening to talk about it. Let's just say for a moment that we've sorted out all the resisting busyness side of things. Okay, so we've got, we're sensitive to our addiction to speed. We're kind of managing that. Uh, we accept our limitations. We see the gift in that. We're, we're happy that actually more time is not the most important thing that we need. What kind of busyness can we adopt in God's kingdom? Well, two things I'd like to say. One is the ability to work out of rest. I'll explain that in a, bit, in a moment. And then the second is the sense of getting busy for God. Work out of rest and get busy for God. The first one, work out of rest. Work out of rest rather than just rest from work. Now, uh, if you've read the Ten Commandments at any stage, you'll know that a big part of them talks about rest. It's the fourth commandment. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 talks about the need to rest. Just dig it out here. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 9. Uh, verse 8. I'll let me start from verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates or the foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is on them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God's people have always had a Sabbath, 24 hours off. People say, don't they, rest is for the week. It is, but W-E-E-K, each week, right? Not W-E-A-K. I remember a lecturer in college really stuck with me. He said, basically, when you, in, in working life, you've got two options. You can either take a day off every week, or one day the Lord is going to make you take all the days off that you didn't take at a time of his choosing, not yours. You work it out. And I thought there was some wisdom in that. We are designed, we are made to rest as well as to work. And so the kind of good, good work that gets done is the work that starts with the rest. There is a rhythm that helps us do the right kind of work. And having a Sabbath, whether that's once every seven days or some of us on shift work, we've got to work it out differently. Or perhaps even bigger patterns of rest and work throughout the year or even over the years. That enables us to work in the right way. And just to be clear about this, I'm not just saying take a Sabbath, take some rest. I'm saying connect your work with your rest in the right way. 
Work out of rest. I've said this before. Let me try and explain it. One attitude says we rest from work. Okay, that's basically when the rest comes at the end of the week, right? So you work all week and then you're absolutely dead. And so you just kind of sit there and kind of dribble out the side of your mouth for 24 hours and then you start again, right? That's, that's resting from your work. But working out of rest starts with the rest. And we're looking at that time of rest to find the kind of spiritual refocus, the physical regeneration that we need to live out this next week well, or whatever the period is. The Sabbath is that day where we come to the Lord. He gets our minds straight about what's actually going to matter this week. He gets our characters straight about how we should live this week. And then we have an opportunity to work out of that in a way that honors him. Mary had that. She took that time out with Jesus from which she could then serve. I wonder what that is for you. Perhaps it's time here, like on a a Sunday evening. Perhaps it's time reading the scriptures uh, and meditating on them in the morning. Um, Perhaps it's taking a half day off every now and again to go and go on a mini retreat and spend some time with the Lord. Um, Perhaps it's a longer period of time. You know, it's like taking a summer camp, going on a summer camp or, 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 a, or a longer retreat. Perhaps you have the opportunity to change jobs and you, you set aside some time in between times. You know what, I'm just going to get my head straight. Some time really focused on my relationship with the Lord in between those two jobs. When they say, can you start straight away? I say, no, I need to start three weeks later. And we get that opportunity to refocus. And there is a virtuous cycle in this, Right? So when you rest from work, it just keeps going. You, you, you work, and you, you don't recognize any of your limitations. You're just constantly addicted to speed. You take on more and more and more work. So every time you get to the end of the week, you're just absolutely dead. Therefore, you can't even think for the 24 hours that you're off, and then you have to do it again. And it compounds. If you can turn it around, perhaps with a bit of a firebreaker in the middle to get yourself in the right place, then you can think, you can get the character, get the thinking right. And so now, when you get to Monday or whatever the first day of your week is, you've got half a chance because you've worked on your character. So, for example, you now recognize your limitations and you now know that all the problems in the workplace don't actually belong to you. And so you can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Do you see what I mean? And that then generates a cycle where you then get to the end of the week. You're not completely and utterly dead. And so Sunday can now become a day of taking something in and being regenerated. Don't rest from your work. Work out of your rest. And secondly, get busy for God. What I love about these verses, and I'm sure they're, they're, they're favorites for, for many of us in, in, uh, in Colossians, um, is it's, it's pretty wide-reaching. Uh, you know, how much of life does this affect? Everything. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever we do, that's all our work. Can we do it for the Lord? Can we be busy for the Lord? Do it in his name. That is, do it in a way that represents him. There are so many trivial things that we can be busy about. 
Getting busy for God is swapping out those trivial things for things that really matter in the kingdom. Now, I'm a bit of a geek. Those of you who are geeks will be able to identify with this. Those of you who aren't, don't judge because you've got your own version of this, right? Uh, so I, you know, I, when I think about the days that I frittered away installing new operating systems on like some computer that I got for free from a friend, and you know, that was just a great idea. Now I can, now I've got this thing that I don't even want or have any reason to use. When I think about the time I frittered away, that's awful. But we've all got those things, haven't we? Can we get busy, but not doing pointless things, but things for God? I wonder what it is that you're busy about that, frankly, is a bit pointless. Can you do it for the Lord, or can you exchange it for something that is more in line with his purposes? It is the Lord Christ you are serving, says Paul to the Colossians. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. You know, Imagine if in the middle of the busyness of this week, you kind of had this head-up display or, you know, little thing on your Google Glass or whatever you wear these days, saying, remember, it's the Lord God you're serving. Now ask yourself, does it look like it? Does it look like this is the Lord God you're serving? What are the things that put the pressure on that really get us busy? And what does it mean if I'm a doctor and I've got this enormous list of patients and they're always really, really, they're all really, really complicated? How do I serve the Lord in this? What, what if I've got this impossible conflict to serve, to, to, to try to resolve at work? How do I serve the Lord in this? It's gonna, I, I'm going to be busy, but how do I serve the Lord in this? What does it mean if I've got these competing demands? I've got elderly relatives, and I've got friends who need my time because it's all going peak tong in their lives, and I've also got my work. And how, do I get, how do I serve the Lord in doing all of those? It's the Lord Christ I'm serving. Get busy for God. Now, before we wrap up, um, I just want to say one more thing. I guess this is kind of a summary of, of this last point, redeeming our business. The most important thing is that all that we do, we do as a response to God, rather than as a way to get something from him. In our culture, we have a thing that is we might call justification by busyness. That is, I am valuable because I do. And it's awful. It's absolutely terrible. And it's terrible in two completely different, but both equally awful ways. One of them is that if I do more, I feel really proud. I am so valuable. I don't know about you guys, because you don't do very much. But I am really, really meaningful. And I've got a big contribution to make to the world in general. And the Lord is really pleased with me because of how much I do. And then guess what? On the flip side, the day when all my you know, capacity evaporates and I've got no energy, I feel worthless. I feel like nothing. I feel like there is no purpose in me whatsoever because I can't do. And both of those things are untrue, aren't they? The Lord loves you because he loves you. Because the Lord Jesus died on the cross. for He justified you himself. He did the work. He took your sin. He made you right with him. And that is valid because on the day when you did the greatest piece of work that you ever did, and on the day when you're laid up in bed and frankly you can't lift a finger, literally, your justification is not by what you do. It comes from grace. 
The Lord loves us for free, not because of what we do. All our worth, all that sense of what, we, what matters about us comes from knowing that we are his children, whether we're good at it or not. And that is wonderful. And that is the place that I would like to leave you this evening. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, who loves you, who died for you, and who is committed to you eternally. Whether from now on until then you achieve nothing, or whether you get the Nobel Peace Prize. And in that, we can all rest. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.